Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, that's my mom. And Glenn Leverins. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Friday, January 5th, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to a brand new hour of Morning Air on this first Friday of the new year and the memorial of the Bishop St. John Newman. I'm John Morales along with the birthday boy Glenn Leverens and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. Thank you so much for making us a part of your morning wherever you may be across America and beyond here on Relevant Radio and the new and improved Relevant Radio app. It's uh, an honor and a privilege to be with you on this 12th day of Christmas. Can you believe it? This is why we have continued to say Merry Christmas as we get ready for the solemnity of the Epiphany of the Lord, which is coming up this Sunday, followed by the Baptism of the Lord on Monday to end the Christmas season here in the U.S. Keep in mind that in Rome and in some Hispanic and other European countries, the traditional end of the Christmas season is the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord on February 2nd. So if any of you... uh, Want to uh, keep the uh, European uh, tradition? You can keep up your uh, keep your nativity scenes and Christmas trees up uh, a little bit longer. Let's also uh, remember the Sacred Heart of Jesus, as well as the Passion and Death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Something that we always remember every single Friday. Want to bring in Glenn and Sarah? Hey, Glenn! Uh, happy birthday, my friend! Uh, happy birthday! Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. You got me thinking back in grade school when it was your birthday, you brought in treats for the yeah, class. Yeah, where are those? Well, you know, that was back then. That was that was, uh, that was was tradition. Boo. <laughs> I need a cupcake, Glenn. It's too I, early. I think it was little tea tradition, though, so I, I, you know, that, I don't know that it carries on. Uh, but uh, Frankie Mariano and I had the same birthday. In my school, we only had two two uh, sections for each uh, each grade. And so occasionally when we'd be in the same section... Uh, you know, that was a good year. Sometimes we get double the treats. But, you know, life as an adult is tough now. Isn't it? Oh, you're going to have to send over a photo of uh, a young Glenn Leverance uh, back in your grammar school days. Maybe with a <laughs> cupcake mustache. Is that, a, is that out there? I'd like to see that. There you go. Hey, just remember, Glenn, age is just a number. Oh, I know, I know. And especially not being the oldest one of the three of us, I don't mind at all. <laughs> well, I know you you, you help keep us uh, all young here uh, whenever we <laughs> chat sports. I always have such a good time uh, talking about uh, uh, sports and football and your Vikings and college football. And, uh, you know, it, it never ends. So uh, uh, hope you uh, have a really wonderful and blessed birthday today, my friend. No, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And if you know, if you got to work on your birthday, radio is a fun way to do it. Uh, you get to get a lot of grief from your coworkers, and there's nothing you can do about it. So, uh, well, you are a newsman extraordinaire, and uh, so tell us what are some of the big stories making headlines here this hour on this first Friday morning. Uh, Israel announcing plans for the future of Gaza once the war is over. It's kind of nice to. Think about the war being over. The Defense Ministry for Israel outlined proposals for the future governance of Gaza and said Hamas would be no longer running the territory, but Palestinian bodies will be in charge on the condition there'll be no hostile actions or threats against Israel. And uh, still to try and speed up that process to get closer to the end and try to release some hostages. Uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken heading back to the Middle East as well. 
Yes, uh, and uh, the the U.S. has said that, that getting those hostages uh, out is uh, a top, top priority. Glenn, it is uh, hard to believe that we're, we're coming up on uh, an, an anniversary of uh, this Hamas war that uh, began on October 7th, and we've seen so much uh, destruction, uh, so many deaths uh, that have happened uh, in these few months. Yeah, just in a few months, those numbers are staggering. Uh, the numbers that the Palestinian Authority puts out or the folks are running Gaza are, are numbers that Hamas puts out, so we kind of take them with a grain of salt. But undoubtedly, thousands have been killed in a very sad situation. Absolutely, and it's something that we uh, continue to pray for and end to this war every single day. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the Vatican has issued a clarification on same-sex uh, blessings, uh, something we uh, talked about just yesterday here on Morning Air. Yeah, the uh, original announcement uh, was in uh, seven pages, I believe, and this take about five pages to try and clarify a little bit uh, of confusion, of course. And uh, in, in some uh, bishops' conferences in entire countries, uh, especially in Africa, really uh, not liking this at all. But each bishop, according to the new press release, has a responsibility to discern the local application uh, of the pastoral meaning of those blessings. And uh, also a bishop should not deny priests the ability to bless people who come to them. But as uh, Bishop Barron and many have said, uh, the original document from the 21st of December in no way calls for a change in the church's teaching regarding marriage and sexuality. And that's exactly what we talked about here on Morning Area yesterday uh, with His Excellency uh, Bishop Edward Scharfenberger, uh, who uh, gave us some perspective on this issue. The document does say this is not to be understood as a regularization or a changing of church teaching regarding what marriage is and what it is not. And it is not only focused on couples in a same-sex relationship, but also those who may be in other irregular relationships, perhaps uh, divorced and and, uh, and civilly remarried, you know, without, a, without an annulment or an annulment process. And if you missed uh, that conversation, of course, you can listen to it in its entirety on our Morning Air podcast. Now, as reported by Fox News, uh, Sheila Buff uh, reportedly plans to become a deacon after receiving confirmation into the Catholic uh, Church. Uh, The movie star previously announced his uh, conversion to the Catholic faith after starring in the film Padre Pio. And on Sunday, LaBeouf made things official, uh, receiving the sacrament of confirmation uh, at a church in California. In fact, uh, Shia LaBeouf spoke to Bishop Robert Barron about his Catholic faith and the Latin Mass. Latin Mass affects me deeply. How and come? Because it feels like they're not selling me a car. Latin Mass puts me squarely in the feeling realm because I can't argue the word. So I'm just left with this feeling that feels sacred and connected. And I was never an atheist. I was always an agnostic, even when I was a Sam Harris, TED Talk, you know, Christopher Hitchens guy. I always had a belief, but I never had like a connection. Latin Mass gave me something where I felt connected. Very uh, inspirational, uh, Shia LaBeouf, uh, becoming a Catholic after studying uh, about the Catholic faith uh, when he played the role of Padre Pio in the movie. And, you know, something in that interview with Bishop uh, Barron that really uh, uh, struck me was just the the reverence that he experienced uh, performing the role, you know, uh, uh, acting. He's acting as a priest at Mass, but just that experience uh, touched him uh, profoundly and deeply. Uh, It it was a a feeling, as he he talked about, much more uh, than anything, uh, you know, intellectual uh, that that allowed him to become Catholic. 
How cool, though. You know, play a saint, become a saint, hopefully, right? But, uh, yeah, the church welcomes all, one and all, famous or not. But uh, we're all called to use the, the platform we have, whether it's just a, a few friends or coworkers or whether it's uh, as a movie star to, to use that platform to spread the good news. Well, uh, you know, this is not the only person Padre Pio has uh, had an impact on. But, yeah, another one, hey, for Padre. <laughs> <laughs> He's knocking him down with uh, all the things that he does. You know, just when you get to know a saint, sometimes it, it does impact you. And you know what? It's great that he has the feelings, but we all know that a faith is way more than feelings. So I'm glad that he's doing a discernment process to kind of see if the diaconate is a right fit, because that's a whole process in and of itself. So good luck on the journey. It is. You don't just say you're going to become a deacon, and next thing you know, you're a deacon. It, Like you said, it, it is a, a big journey, and he's going to be having to study uh, and really learn on a much uh, a deeper level uh, the Catholic faith. Uh, I have a little holy card of uh, Padre Pio here in studio with me at all times uh, with his famous words, pray, hope, and don't worry. So I think that's a good little reminder for every one of us, uh, including the birthday boy. (laughs) Amen to that, guys. Amen to that. All right, Glenn, as always, uh, thanks so much. Uh, Enjoy your birthday, and and Sarah, thanks uh, also. You got it. Thank you very much. I'll I'll be over here eating some cake. All right. uh, Save a slice for me. All right, we begin every hour, as always, uh, in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings. And we always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, as we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and in Ukraine. We continue to pray for peace in our nation, peace in our church, and peace especially in our families and in our hearts. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and patroness of Relevant Radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, today, the Catholic Church in America honors St. John Newman. He was born in Bohemia in 1811 and developed a desire to help the missions in the U.S. and was ultimately ordained in New York in 1836. Entering the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer, he established parishes and parish schools. In 1852, St. John Newman was consecrated the Bishop of of Philadelphia, and he would introduce the 40 hours devotion uh, to the Blessed Sacrament, uh, something that he brought to this country from Europe. St. John Newman, pray for us. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life, as we do every morning, is from John 11, 25, and 26. Jesus the Lord says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
One year ago today, we honored the life and the legacy of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, whose funeral took place on this day in St. Peter's Square. Pope Benedict was focused on Jesus Christ. He was Christocentric and truly believed the words of Jesus the Lord in the gospel. Christ is the resurrection and the life. Pope Benedict's last words were, Lord, I love you. What a great prayer and what a, a great example for every single one of us. In fact, that is something that I have taken up and uh, actually do myself uh, before receiving the Holy Eucharist every single day, just saying those short little words, Lord Jesus, I love you. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer from the Chapel of Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. We need to take a short pause when we come back. A Catholic and pro-life attorney Mary Helen Fiorita will be with us to discuss the upcoming abortion pill case that the Supreme Court will be taking up. So stay with us as Morning Air continues on this first Friday of 2024 here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverins on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And I'm John Morales, uh, along with uh, Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much uh, for tuning in. It is great to be with you on this first Friday here on Relevant Radio and the new and improved uh, Relevant Radio app. You can always send us an email uh, directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. Our toll-free line, if you want to be part of the conversation here this morning, is sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. It's 888-914-9149. Now, in case you missed it, on December 13th, the U.S. Supreme Court said that it would hear a case on whether to uphold uh, the ruling from a federal appeals court that banned mail-order abortions and protects women from dangerous abortion pills. As reported by LifeNews.com, in April, uh, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals issued a ruling that banned mail-order abortions that put women's lives at risk, uh, condemned the improper FDA-approved process for the drug and restored strict limits on the drug meant to protect women's health that the Biden administration has removed. Joining us live from the Chicago area is Morning Air a regular contributor Mary Helen Fiorito to uh, talk about this case that SCOTUS has decided to take that could save the lives of many, many babies across our nation. Mary is an attorney, a public speaker, and commentator on issues involving Catholic Church teachings, administration, and religion. Freedom. She holds the position of the Cardinal Francis George Fellow at both the Ethics and Public Policy Center and the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame. Good morning, Mary. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thanks so much for joining us. It is great to be with you once again here uh, on this uh, first Friday and the start of the new year. 
Yeah, the first Friday and the first show of 2024. Happy New Year to all the listeners. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. Well, Mary, I, I know that this is a, a topic uh, that we have talked about with regard to the uh, abortion pill. A, a while back, we talked about how it affected uh, Britney Spears, uh, the very well-known uh, pop singer. And um, it's something that is, is so relevant and, and important for, for uh, all women in our country to, to be up on. Uh, can you, first of all, for, for people who may not be clear, can you explain to us exactly what is meant by the abortion pill, which is actually two pills? Right, exactly. So the abortion pill, uh, sometimes referred to as RU4086, was developed in the 1980s by a French pharmaceutical company called Roussel Uclaf, which is where the RU in 486 comes from. And then the 486 was just the, the particular number they assigned to this formulation. And uh, it is primarily a drug called um, mifepristone, which is kind of known on the American market as, as mifeprix, rather. Um, and what that particular drug does is it prevents uh, progesterone from getting to the pregnancy, therefore it doesn't allow the unborn child to grow. It cut it cuts off the support of nutrients that are needed for the unborn child to grow. So essentially it starves the unborn child to death. And then a second drug, misoprostol, is then administered and that essentially induces severe intense uterine cramping that dispels the what, what abortion providers call the contents of the uterus, meaning the unborn child and the placenta, um, out of the woman's body. And so um, the, the, the drug that actually takes the child's life is the mifepristone, and then the misoprostol, which is also used in very legitimate ways um, by uh, doctors for, for example, if there's a miscarriage and um, the, the fetal remains have not passed yet. Sometimes that is used to dispel the already dead fetal remains, but it does not, it's not used to kill the baby. So it can be used legitimately. Um, but the, the main drug in question here is the mifepristone. And a, a while back, uh, we uh, we chatted about uh, Britney Spears' autobiography, and I know this is something that uh, you're working on, that you're uh, currently writing on, uh, that will be coming out uh, a little bit later th this month. But uh, th there's a connection between uh, Britney Spears and uh, th this uh, abortion pills that, that we're talking about. Yeah, when I, I started writing, um, I'm writing an article for our Sunday Visitor for a special uh, issue they're doing for the Roe versus Wade anniversary in a couple of weeks. And I just had a curiosity. I went back to see when Britney Spears had her abortion because she makes a point of saying that they didn't go to an abortion clinic, she and Justin Timberlake, her boyfriend at the time, they didn't go to an abortion clinic and they didn't go to a hospital because he wanted it done privately. So um, that, that could only mean she had an abortion pill abortion, which, you know, in the way she describes it, that's clear that's what happened. And so she had it in the year 2000, which was the very same year uh, that the FDA green-lighted it in an expedited process for availability in the U.S. So she was probably one of the, you know, first women in the U.S. to have one of these private abortions at home. And, you know, we, we talked about this at the time when her book came out, John, but she describes it as one of the most agonizing things I have ever experienced in my life. And she goes into detail about the severity of the cramping from the second drug and the excessive bleeding that she had afterwards and how traumatized she was. You know, I think she was sort of 
um, as, as many women are, are led to believe that somehow they're just going to pop this pill and then the baby disappears. That is not at all what happens um, when a woman takes uh, this uh, drug. And it's particularly more severe the later on uh, that she gets in her pregnancy, the, the larger the gestational age of the child. Want to open up our phone lines and invite our listeners, specifically uh, any women who who may have some uh, thoughts uh, on uh, this very dangerous uh, abortion p- pill. These abortion pills that are just not good for women. They actually account for over half of all the abortions. Uh, if you have anything you'd like to share with us, uh, it maybe maybe even your own experience with this pill, uh, we'd love to hear from you. We're taking your calls for uh, pro-life and Catholic attorney Mary Helen Fiorito uh, on our toll-free line. At triple eight nine one four nine one four nine triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Mary, uh, you know, talking about Britney Spears, uh, the abortion pill, as you said, was authorized uh, right in the year two thousand. Even back then, it was uh, highly controversial. What were some of the objections uh, at the time? Well, you know, it it had not been extensively studied in the United States, and so even. You know, those who were advocating it for it to be legalized here called it a serious medical procedure. And so when the FDA greenlighted it, the Clinton administration put tremendous pressure in, in the, these was in the waning days of the Clinton administration, tremendous pressure on the FDA to greenlight this drug and to do it quickly. They wanted it legalized before a Republican president came in to replace Bill Clinton. So what they did is they used an accelerated approval process, which is known as subpart H. And so prior to the approval of Mifepristone, subpart H had only been used, you know, a couple of dozen times. And it was used for medications that that had to, the definition is, they have to treat serious or extremely life-threatening illnesses. So it, it, was, a, it was kind of put together in order to uh, sort of expedite the approval for some drugs that treated AIDS, HIV AIDS. You remember back in the late 80s, um, that was a, you know, a growing concern among the American population. Um, and also, you know, some cancer drugs and I think a malaria drug was one of them, but it had to be a really serious condition. Well, the FDA <laughs> requalified pregnancy as a serious and life-threatening illness. Although pregnancy is not an illness, right? I mean, if, if, if anything, is quite the opposite. Pregnancy is a sign that a woman's body is functioning in a healthy and normal way. It's infertility that's the illness, not fertility. So, uh, so they greenlighted it, and uh, you know the the French manufacturer had been very hesitant to give the drug to permission to use the drug to anybody other than the U.S. government itself. But even the Clinton administration didn't want to touch that, so they gave it instead under pressure from uh, Dennis Shalala, who was then the House and Human Services Secretary. They gave it to an organization called the Population Council, which was uh, founded by John Rockefeller, who's a billionaire. And uh, they, in turn, kind of created a a new company called Danco. And to this day, Danco has less than 20 employees. And the only drug they sell, John, the only drug they sell at all is Mifepristone. That's it. That's the only drug. So it's a drug. You know, it's not a legitimate drug company. It's a drug company that was created for no other purpose than to sell abortion drugs. And, you know, you can't say that even about the creator of this drug, you know, Russo Lukov, who has hundreds of patents for different kinds of medications. You know, they're a legit. I mean, I, I don't appreciate that they created this drug, but they are a legitimate drug company. 
And even at that time in 2000, the FDA knew very well, uh, explicitly, uh, that there were some serious risks uh, with this uh, abortion drug. Oh, absolutely. And and they did, you know, to, I guess, their, their limited credit, they did put some, you know, bumper rails around, um, you know, the, the dispensing of this drug. I mean, a woman had to have three separate doctor appointments in person. And, you know, and that's that's for the woman's safety. For example, if she goes in and she has an ectopic pregnancy, which is a pregnancy that attaches not in the uterus, but rather usually in the fallopian tubes, and she takes this pill and thinks she's not pregnant anymore because she's, she may have had some bleeding or something, you know, after the uterus empties, that, that pregnancy is going to continue to grow in some cases and her uterine, uh, or sorry, her fallopian tube can rupture and she can die. So one of the, one of the things that the, these doctor visits, you know, to get the pill were supposed to do was to rule out an ectopic pregnancy, was to rule out any other kind. There's other kinds of contraindications. Uh, there are certain types of women taking kinds of medicine or who had particular procedures in the past that should not take the abortion pill. It is a grave danger to them. Um, and now, you know, thanks to the Biden administration, you can get these pills through the mail. But initially, as you say, the FDA did require uh, three in-person doctor visits. There was a seven-week gestational limit. Now that's up to 10, but we know now that you can get them through the mail, that they're being used well past that point. I mean, we have that tragic case in Nebraska where that young woman's mother obtained uh, the pills for her through the mail, and she aborted a baby at 30 weeks with these pills, John. I mean, so, you know, there's absolutely no protections for women. Anybody, it is so open to traffickers using it, right, for their underage victims. To There's been a number of documented cases in the secular news about men slipping these pills into the drinks of their girlfriends when they didn't want them to be pregnant. So the, you know, the potential for abuse and misuse is already documented and, and taking off any safety regulations that the FDA put in place, even way back in 2000, is such a detriment to women. And the other thing they did, initially the FDA required that all adverse health effects, so for example, women showing up in the emergency room with uh, an infection because she hadn't passed the rest of the fetal body parts, or she's had excessive bleeding, you know, bleeding lasting for weeks. Um, the FDA had required abortion providers to report all of those adverse health effects, but now all they have to do is report deaths from the pill. They don't have to report any serious injuries to women. So we don't even have a way of knowing now how often this is hurting women and how often we, we have some data that shows that there's a disproportionately higher number of women who have to go to the ER after a pill abortion than after a surgical abortion. But we don't have firm numbers from every state because, you know, the Biden administration and the FDA just removed any requirements uh, for any kind of monitoring at all of this drug. I mean, it's absolute insanity. It is uh, unbelievable. Um, what about uh, the COVID uh, pandemic? Did, did that think, did that actually make things even worse? Oh, it absolutely did. So during the COVID pandemic, you know, as probably everybody knows, if you had to have a doctor's appointment during that time, for the most part, that was all done by telemedicine. And uh, so during the COVID pandemic, um, the FDA uh, you know, there was one in-person doctor visit was required at that point, and then they just waived that completely and allowed non-doctors to uh, prescribe the pill, to give out the pill, nurse practitioners and midwives, um, what have you, and then also um, began to send them through the mail to women who couldn't um, 
uh, pick them up in person. And so now uh, it, that was, of course, as you can imagine, again, because of the potential for abuse and misuse and, um, you know, women being given the impression that this is just a very easy thing. You get it through the mail like, you know, uh, something your pharmacist would send you like an aspirin or something and it's going to easily end your pregnancy. When, in fact, this is a very dangerous drug. So now the Biden administration um, removed the in-person requirements altogether after COVID because, um, you know, that kind of gave them the green light to do so. And so now you don't even have to go into the doctor at all. You can just order the pills, pills through the mail. In the final moments that we have, can you give us uh, a perspective uh, on the legal process uh, that began with a citizen's uh, petition and now has ended up at the U.S. Supreme Court? Right. So people are probably wondering why after, you know, this was approved in 2000, why nothing was done by the pro-life community at the time. But that's not true. About two years later, after this subpart H was used um, to ram through the approval of the pill, a large, two large associations of Christian and Catholic doctors filed a lawsuit, a citizen petition with the FDA asking them to uh, to remove this approval and to go back and to do the studies and to approve the drug the right way. Well, the FDA waited 14 years, so from 20, uh, 2002 until 2016, before they answered and rejected that citizen petition. And at that time, they relaxed some of the restrictions. Uh, as I mentioned, they increased the gestational age from 7 to 10 weeks. They reduced the doctor visits from three to two, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, when when they were able, uh, again, the pro-life doctors went back. They filed uh, a lawsuit in the federal district court in Texas, and that judge uh, roundly agreed with them. Um, it was appealed, as one would, would think. It went to the Fifth Circuit. Uh, the Fifth Circuit upheld it in large part. And then the Biden administration and Danko, which is this drug manufacturer that, again, doesn't ma manufacture any other drug other than Mifepristone, they petitioned the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court kind of hit the pause button on the whole process. But they did announce they're going to hear the case. They announced that um, a couple of weeks ago on December 13th. And we don't yet have a date for oral arguments, but I'll be back to tell the listeners as soon as we do. Any sense, uh, Mary, uh, drawing from your pro-life legal experience, how do you think the high court is going to rule? Oh, well, you know, uh, I don't have a crystal ball. It, you know, I'll know more clearly after I hear the oral arguments how this might go. It does seem to me, you know, this, this is a court that tends to look at the letter of the law. And so the fact that the initial processes were not followed I don't think is going to sit well with the current justices. They tend to, again, they look at the what's in front of them and say, why wasn't this followed? And so it'll be interesting to see what they do. My guess is, at a minimum, they'll go back to the restrictions that were in place in 2016, which is going to require at least one person uh, in-person appointment and is going to reduce the gestational age back to seven weeks. At least that, that's what I'm hoping. I, I don't think we're going to see an outright uh, ban on on this pill. But I do think we're going to get, see some guardrails put up and certainly an end to the mail order drug regime. Well, Mary, we're going to have to leave it right there. Really appreciate uh, your expertise and your perspective on this uh, really important issue of uh, the abortion pill. Thanks so much uh, for, for being with us. Merry Christmas uh, to you these last uh, few days and uh, many blessings uh, in the new year. Thank you. And Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all your listeners. Thank you for having me. Thanks again. Uh, Morning Air contributor Mary Helen Fiorito, her handle on X, formerly Twitter, at Mary Fiorito. 
We need to take a short break when we come back on the other side. Carol and Pete Tomaselli, community coordinators of Retrovi of Chicago, will be uh, with us to share yet even more uh, suggested changes for a healthy marriage in 2024. So stay with us. We are headed down the stretch on this first Friday of the year edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the new and improved Relevant Radio app. I've got my love to keep me warm. Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tapoya, and Glenn Leverins on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air on this first Friday of the new year. We can still say Merry Christmas. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and producer Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on this first Friday morning. It's good to be with you once again. And can you believe it? Today is the 12th day of Christmas. You can send us an email uh, as always. You can send it directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. You can also find us on social media, on uh, Twitter, on uh, the new X. Our handle is at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook. Now, are you trying to find a new resolution in your marriage for this year of 2024. Well, this morning we're going to continue talking about making changes for a healthy marriage, something that is extremely relevant here at the beginning of this new year. Joining us live in studio once again is Carol and Pete Tomaselli, community coordinators of Retrovi of Chicago, to share some suggested changes for a healthy marriage. Pete and Carol attended their Retrovi weekend in August of 2012. Uh, coming up on 12 years ago. They have three adult sons, two daughters-in-law, and a grandson that recently arrived in October. I want to take a moment to invite our listeners. If uh, you've changed something small or big in your marriage that has made a difference in your relationship, if you actually saved your marriage thanks to uh, being a part of Retrovi, we would love to hear from you. We're taking your calls uh, for Carol and Pete on our Catholic Order of Foresters toll-free line, 888 Good morning, Carol and Pete. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to the two of you. Thanks so much for being with us once again here in studio. It's great to be with you at the start of this new year. Our pleasure. Thanks Thanks for having us, John. Do you, um, both of you, do you, do you think that uh, here at the beginning of uh, 2024 that this is uh, always a, a good time to, to make resolutions uh, to improve your marriage? Uh, Carol, what do you think? Absolutely. Anytime there's a chance to look at things that you could improve is always good. Um, and if we can use a New Year's resolution as one of them, it'd be nice to try and do that every day with an examination of conscience. But once a year would be fine, too. Well, we uh, have been uh, talking about uh, a myriad of retrovi ideas for suggested uh, changes. In fact, in previous shows, uh, we covered a number of them. Um, and, and this morning, we're going to uh, go over a, a few more. A- anything that comes to mind uh, that we've chatted about uh, in past shows that uh, you absolutely maybe want to r- remind our, our listeners uh, joining us here uh, for this uh, first show uh, of the year? Well, 
the one that I think really rang true for me that we discussed uh, maybe a couple of shows ago was about being home for dinner um, and and enjoying dinner together as a family. And I think that that importance of that can never be uh, underestimated. That's that's absolutely a, a good one. Carol, what about you? Well, I thought the um, just getting up to say hello when your spouse comes in and actually kind of reflecting on how wonderful it is that your spouse is home. <laughs> So simple. For sure. And there's so many other just wonderful ideas that we've talked about in previous programs. If you if you go back to our morning air podcast at relevantradio.com or on the new Relevant Radio app, you can find our conversations with Pete and Carol Tomaselli. And we can go much more in-depth in in those segments. Um Carol, what what is the first idea for suggested changes here for this new year this well, morning? It actually talks about find an activity that you can do together. And you know, it's so easy to think about like athletic things, maybe going hiking or biking together, um, you know, going for walks and that's something that Pete and I actually have done. We will go for walks and then we, you know, actually start praying the rosary together on our walks so that we can actually turn it into kind of a deeper engagement. Um, but there's a lot of activities you can do. And another one that we try to get involved with is, you know, standing for marriage and being involved in this ministry and this mission together so that there's not shame associated with having difficulties in your marriage. The key is to do something together. It could be uh, bowling, uh, playing pool, going for a walk with the dog, you name it. Uh, there, there's no uh, limit to uh, the different things that you can do together. Indeed, indeed. We were just uh, out of town for a few days, and um, there were a, a lot of little rituals that everybody that was gathered were doing. And one of them was, as you said, you know, one of the couples we were with, Carol's sister and husband, um, would walk the dog every night. And, and it wasn't like a two second walk, <laughs> putting them out on the stoop or something like that. I mean, they would be gone for 30, 40, 50 minutes, you know, and, and uh, I'm sure there was a lot of great conversation going on there, a lot of soul searching and, and, you know, retrospection on the day and things like that. So it was a great, it was great to, uh, to watch them. I'm sure my wife, Cindy is listening uh, as we speak and she's going to say, Hey, where have you been when I walk the dog? Cause uh, you know, we usually walk the dog separately. So maybe we'll have to start doing it as a team. We know where you were, John, watching a football game <laughs> or the news. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. All right. Uh, what about uh, the next suggested change for a healthy marriage here at the beginning of the new year? Writing a special quality about your spouse in a letter, sometimes a, sometimes a tall order. You know, it could could be, um, you know, asking someone to to really go through some hoops to do that. But it doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, any kind of a long protracted love letter. It could just simply be, you know, hey, honey, you know what? I really like the fact that you've been doing this, and I notice it, and um, as a result, it just kind of you know creates a lot of uh, a lot of growth in the closeness of the relationship. Uh, could it be uh, something as just a short little note, maybe on a, a little Absolutely. pad? That Get your you post-its next out. The, the, next to the coffee pot? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> There's no wrong answer to this, Jen. I love it. All right, uh, Carol, the next uh, suggested idea, I think, is a big one. It's really huge. It's don't criticize your spouse. And, you know, there's a lot more to it than just, the criticism, because it's the concept of, is there constructive feedback or is there criticism? And once you move into that concept of attacking 
the spouse's, you know, virtues or their, um, uh, you know, the difference uh, between constructive feedback. Yeah, character. Thank you, sweetheart. Um, Well, the difference is like saying something like you never help around the house because you're a slob and you don't care. Um, Or if you say something, when you forget to help with housework, I see myself feeling overwhelmed and um, taken for granted. So if our motives show that we use criticism to hurt our spouse, then it's time to change this critical behavior. So um, all that it takes to become an expert in constructive feedback is to practice uh, the willingness to give up judgment and blaming. So criticism is a definite killer. We like to look at it as the concept of learning more, like win-learn, like to learn more about what's going on with your spouse and get that deeper connection and that sincere, sincere feelings behind what the situation is that needs to be changed. And to not criticize, it has to be a conscious decision. So uh, this is probably a really good one as a New Year's resolution. I am not going to criticize my wife when she doesn't take out the garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Do wives take out the garbage? Uh, Actually, I I, I end up taking out the garbage. (laughs) Well, there's a point that we we spoke about earlier, um, you know, to your point, John, uh, and it was it was about if you know if you have a bad temper to count to ten and and so usually criticism is going to come criticism doesn't doesn't always come from a great place constructive um, suggestions and things like that come from a more solid uh, solid base but criticism do, I, I would argue does not and so for somebody like me who has kind of a short fuse and a and a, a big response after that short fuse, you know, there, we talked about counting to 10 or maybe, you know, in my case, counting to, you know, two would be good. (laughs) Um, uh, but you know, that's kind of, you know, as you said, you know, rather than saying, you know, jumping off, uh, jumping, flying off the handle and, and coming back with some sort of a judgment, maybe just take that step back. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, take that step back. Introspection. Retrovi is all about, I statements. It's all about introspection. It's all about what can I do to make things better? What have I done to make things bad? What have I done to, to damage things and what can I do to rebuild? And so it's, it's a lot of I in the we of being married. Maybe a, a big smile and a different approach like uh, honey, please start the dishwasher. Excellent. I like that. <laughs> all right. But John, you're standing right next to it. Why would I do it? <laughs> Don't you hate Very having good there. getting pigeonholed next to the dishwasher? <laughs> All right. Uh, so many good ideas uh, in so little time to, to, uh, to talk about them. Um, Carol, what about um, the next uh, change? I think this one is really uh, basic. Uh, this is something that's – and it's very doable. Um, so we're talking about um, calling during the day just to say hello. I mean, how simple is that? Instead of like, will you pick this up? Will you do this, that, or the other thing? And it's always, you know, kind of like this command or demand. Um, It's much easier to just simply go, hi, sweetheart. How was your day? You know where I find myself with that to to that point, Carol? When I send a text to somebody, usually I get get ribbed a lot for my text being punctually, having a lot of you know, punctuation, correct uh, corrections and being grammatically correct and things like that. And so I usually start out a, a text and it'll be like, um, you know, did you do this? And then I'll come back and read it and I'll stop and I'll be, and I'll go, 
you know, scroll back to the thing. I'd be like, good morning. Did you do this? You know, so, you know and, and, and so I always, so I'm, I'm better at it when I'm doing it in writing than I am, you know, verbally, but you know, to, to call during the day just to say hello, as opposed to, like you said, you know, Hey, did you move the car or good morning, sweetheart? Did you move the car before you backed out of the garage? Any chance? Just <laughs> it's about how you. It's about tone and how you, how you say. It. And I, and again, uh, yes. a text is okay, but a, to hear the, your loved one's voice on the other line yeah. is, is always, I think, uh, a better way to go. Agreed. All right, Carol. Uh, what about the next suggested change for a healthy marriage? Well, start attending church together. You know, I mean, if we have the Sunday obligation and. You know, we each meet it, but we don't go together. Um, that's another area where it would be very helpful. And then I believe strongly in adding another day or two to the week. Um, daily Mass is nice and quiet and can be a great addition to healthy habits for your marriage. That is an absolute uh, must uh, for, for us from a Catholic perspective. I'm sure uh, Father Rocky would agree about that one. Uh, John is joining us uh, this morning from Encinitas, California. Good morning, John. Uh, welcome to Morning Air. You're on with Carol and Pete. Thank you. God bless you guys. Happy New Year. Um, yeah, my wife and I have uh, been together for 44, going on 45 years. Thanks be to God. And our Capuchin monk said to us, um, go shopping together, you know, which shows a lot of patience on my part. But anyway, um, I have uh, a a ploy or a a question that I ask people, what has three eyes and can't see? Then I added, what has four eyes and can't see? What has three eyes and can't see? Criticism. What really is blind to seeing? Destructive criticism. So that has four eyes and really can't see. God bless you guys. Keep up the great spiritual work. That's awesome. Thanks, John. Thank really you, John. Uh, appreciate it. Well, so much to talk about, so little time. Uh, uh, final thoughts, maybe, uh, for a spiritual resolution here uh, at the beginning of the year. Carol, why don't you, you know, I, I, Carol calls me up a couple times a day to pray the Angelus, or we'll, we'll do that um, if we're in the same room together at those hours at 6, 12, and 6. Um, I'd I'm uh, woefully negligent in remembering to do that, but Carol is not, and I appreciate it. And it's really a nice little, you know, quick focus um, in the middle of the day to to kind of get our hearts and our, our minds aligned with the Blessed Mother. Well, that is a beautiful thing, and, you know, it's easier said than done. So, uh, and I'm sure Pete appreciates the, uh, the reminder. Well, absolutely. And the big thing for us is that when we attended Retrovi, we learned that we actually needed to kind of like refocus that God is number one, spouse is number two, and kids are number three, family's number three, you know, and work is like down on the bottom there. But God first, spouse second is something that's kind of crucial. And And even though we identify a lot of ourselves with with our vocation, with our work, you know, you have to step away from it and you have to you have to really kind of focus on your well, marriage. Pete, uh, we're going to have to leave it right there. Uh, Carol, uh, thanks so much uh, t- for the two of you to come in here and, and join us uh, this morning. Uh, have a great uh, rest of uh, this Christmas season. Only a few more days to go and uh, many blessings in the new year. God bless you, John. Thanks God for everything. Bless you. Carol and Pete Tomaselli, Community Coordinators of Retrovi of Chicago, and you can uh, visit helpourmarriage.org for much more. Now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. 
One final Christmas story for us, this story called A Christmas Story. Herman and I locked our general store and dragged ourselves home. It was 11 p.m. Christmas Eve of 1949. We were dog-tired. We'd sold almost all of our toys and all the layaways except one package had been picked up. Usually we kept the store open until everything had been claimed. We wouldn't have been happy on Christmas knowing that some child's gift was still on the layaway shelf. But the person who put a dollar down in the package never returned. Early Christmas morning, we and our 12-year-old son Tom opened gifts. But I'll tell you, there was something humdrum about this Christmas. Tom was growing up. I missed his childish exuberance of past years. As soon as breakfast was over, Tom left to visit his friend next door. Herman mumbled, I'm going back to sleep. There's nothing left to stay up for. So there I was, alone, feeling let down. And then it began, a strange, persistent urge. It seemed to be telling me to go to the store. I looked at the sleet, an icy sidewalk outside. That's crazy, I said to myself. I tried dismissing the urge, but it wouldn't leave me alone. In fact, it was getting stronger. Finally, I couldn't stand it any longer, and I got dressed. Outside, the wind cut right through me, and the sleet stung my cheeks. I groped my way to the store, slipping and sliding. In front stood two boys, one about nine, the other six. What in the world? See, I told you she'd come, the older boy said jubilantly. The younger one's face was wet with tears, but when he saw me, his sobbing stopped. What are you two doing here, I scolded, hurrying them into the store. You should be at home on a day like this. They were poorly dressed. They had no hats or gloves, their shoes barely held together. I rubbed their icy hands and I got them up close to the heater. We've been waiting for you, replied the older boy. My little brother Jimmy didn't get any Christmas. He touched Jimmy's shoulder. We want to buy some skates. That's what he wants. And we have these three dollars, he said, pulling the bills from his pocket. I looked at the money. I looked at their expectant faces. Then I looked around the store. I'm sorry, I said, but we have no... Then my eye caught sight of the layaway shelf with its lone package. Wait a minute, I told the boys. I walked over, picked up the package, unwrapped it, and miracle of miracles, there was a pair of skates. Jimmy reached for them. Lord, let them be his size. And miracle added upon miracle, they were his size. The older boy presented the dollars to me. No, I told him, I want you to have these skates, and I want you to use your money to get some gloves. The boys just blinked at first, then their eyes became like saucers, and their grins stretched wide when they understood I was giving them the skates. What I saw in Jimmy's eyes was a blessing. It was pure joy, and it was beautiful. My spirits rose. We walked out together, and as I locked the door, I turned to the older brother and said, How did you know I'd come? I wasn't prepared for his reply. His gaze was steady, and he answered me softly, I asked Jesus to send you. The tingles in my spine weren't from the cold. God had planned this. As we waved goodbye, I turned home for a brighter Christmas. Matthew 6, 8, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn, the birthday boy. And in these final days of the Christmas season, let's honor our Lord Jesus and the Blessed Mother Mary by praying and watching the family rosary across America with Father Rocky and Maggie at 7 p.m. Central tonight and every night of the week here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. That'll do it for this Friday, January 5th, 2024 edition of Morning Air. For uh, producers Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, uh, for Glenn, our entire Morning Air Team, I'm John Morales.